Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Today I'm speaking with Michael Rodzicki, and, and Michael is a, is a veteran in the cybersecurity space and has been for at least a couple of decades now. You know, I, I see that uh, one of the, your earlier uh, roles in this space were in Chase Manhattan Bank, where you were actually the VP of uh, Internet uh, Technology Group. And then you spent uh, like many years in a company called Equiland. Maybe you can talk about that in a minute. And um, you spent a you know a long time there. And from there, you moved to uh, a director role in information security at DataLot. And I, I, I understand that right now you're the chief information security and risk officer for IDB Bank. Uh, and with De- that, please. Yeah, deputy. Please. Deputy Chief oh. Information Security Risk Officer. Yeah, I don't. I don't want. I. I don't have my boss's job yet. Uh, yeah, you don't yeah, want to yeah. steal his thunder. Yeah, no, I, exactly. I that. exactly. My, my bad. And and you know, <laughs> with right. that, with that, step in and you know, properly introduce yourself. Hey Ben. So uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Mike Redzicki, I've been uh, all around uh, the IT and information security world over you know the last thirty years. Uh, Mostly in the financial services um, sector, I have done a small stint for um, a marketing company in between uh, my current job and my last one, and uh, just uh, really passionate about the industry. I've got uh, some out of the box thinking <laughs> that that often uh, makes people question the way they normally do things or or, or the way they normally approach things. And I think that's something that I bring to the table uh, that a lot of people uh, in the industry currently don't. It doesn't make me better than them. It just, uh, you know, I've, I've always been, the, I've always had this idea of when everybody's thinking alike, only one person's thinking, right? So uh, I, I, I try to, uh, I try to approach things from a different, uh, a different aspect than a general security person would, and, and that probably goes back to my days first starting out as an IT person, right? As any IT person can tell you, um, if you work a a help desk job at at some point, you've seen everything, right? And, uh, you know, as long as you bring that problem-solving approach um, along with you, uh, it it helps, right? It it, it helps uh, set you apart from uh, from other people in, in the industry, I think. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, uh, you know, uh, context and uh, description. And we'll definitely touch on, you know, on that more. Uh, like, you know, the purpose of the podcast is to understand, like, how you came, uh, how you came to be, you know, uh, a leader in the industry and, you know, holding a deputy Caesar role right now. And before that, you were, I think you had uh, uh, similar roles as well. Uh, and, you know, that maturity and the, that growth for being that IT guy or IT manager into, you know, the transition into cybersecurity is definitely something that we're exploring in, in, in these talks. Uh, and I think I mentioned in our initial call that the purpose of the, this podcast is to learn more about you and for you to share your experience. It's not specifically to, you know, get details or information about your current role or about your current company that you're employed with it's more along you know the lines of learning more about you your path your journey and the industry as a whole and and to get you know and and to hopefully to have some fun as well if possible yeah and and i always like to start with a couple of uh, questions before we get started uh if you're willing to share your marital status and your favorite drink Sure, sure. So I've been married. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated 25 years together over the summer. Um, so uh, I hope she would agree with me when I when I say there've been 25 uh, very good years. Uh, but but I can't speak for her. But I guess the fact that she's still hanging around means it can't be all bad, right? So uh, and and my favorite drink. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, single malt scotch. 
uh, if I had to pick a favorite, it would probably be uh, an 18 year old McCallum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, good. Thank you for that. And you know, with that, let's let's dive in and try to you know unpack this and learn more about you. Uh, you know, looking back at your career, is there one thing you wish you had known when, when you began it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, look, I, I started in uh, technology, right, or engineering field back in the 80s um, before the days of the Internet uh, and everybody having uh, AOL or, or one of their competitors, which I, I can't even name it, like Prodigy, CompuServe, things like that. So I started out doing um, software QA, which, which, which was interesting. And, uh, you know, again, the days before cell phones existed or pagers even, right? Uh, and uh, as the industry morphed, right, uh, and and uh, they started handing out pagers to people for on-call work, right? Uh, when I got my first pager and got the first call at three o'clock in the morning that there was a problem, and this is before the ability to remotely log in, and I had to get in a car and go to the office, um, my first thought was, if I didn't know when I was going to do this, or I was going to end up doing stuff like this, I would have studied a little harder and gone to medical school and become a surgeon. Uh, because if I'm going to get a call at three o'clock in the morning, um, it, it should be to save people's life and not because uh, somebody on an overnight help desk can't do something, right? And and needs the IT guy to fix it. So uh, that that was that was probably something I wish I'd have known when I was going into um, the engineering field is that, you know, uh, this is not the same nine to five job that my father or his father worked, right? It's uh, it's completely different now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is one of the reasons I always preferred consulting. I uh, I did <laughs> I did work in IT for a while, but uh, yeah, that was a turnoff for me as well. Um, and and again, reflecting back, what would you say your biggest failure was, and what did you learn from it? Well, this is so. This happened uh, when I was at Equiland, right? We uh, we used to do disaster recovery tests a couple of times a year, and this was before I really went down the cybersecurity rabbit hole and all the uh, tangential parts of uh, cybersecurity slash information security. We used to do disaster recovery tests a couple of times a year um, because it was required of the company based on the field they were in, right? And we, we would do them and they would be successful and we all patted each other on the back. And then Hurricane Sandy hit the New York area and our office was downtown New York City and downtown New York City was flooded and you weren't allowed to go to downtown New York City for uh, about six weeks. And uh, that's when we realized that, great, the stuff in our data center works and the application is still up and running, but nobody can access the office. Right. Nobody can get to the office. Nobody can answer phones. Nobody can reply to emails because only some of the staff was uh, had the ability to work from home. Uh, our BlackBerry server at the time was in the office, so it had no power. So we couldn't even do that. Right. So um, that's when I learned the term business continuity. <laughs> and and uh, that, that so that was probably the biggest failure is is assuming that. Because your disaster recovery plan works right um that you're bulletproof and and nothing can prevent your business from uh nothing can prevent you from continuing business in the event of a disaster right it's uh it was an eye-opening experience and that's actually the event that led me down um the cybersecurity rabbit hole right i was like well what else are we not doing right <laughs> that 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 we think we that we think we're doing well or that we think we're safe so um, that, so that was 2012, right? So the, and then now here we are 10 years later. Yeah, I think there was a saying, you know, about uh, no battle plan survive. No battle plan survives the first contact with the enemy or something like that. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yeah, you just need to keep trying, trying harder and, you know, hope that you won't fail next time, I guess. Um, but, you know, reflecting on that, what would you say your uh, biggest accomplishment was? So the, the, the biggest accomplishment is keeping a financial services company um, free from cyber attacks 
for over a decade, uh, right? And at the same time, being able to meet, um, we, we had a very strict SLA for our applications, right? It was 99.9%. Um, that was the uptime that we promised clients. Uh, so to be able to do that for uh, every year, for well over, for over a decade. And uh, once I really started paying attention to cybersecurity, keeping the the firm free of of cyber attacks, keep the bad guys out, so to speak, for for ten years. I, I think that's a pretty impressive accomplishment, right? Given the fact that financial service companies are pretty big targets, right? The fact that we didn't have a single cybersecurity incident once I uh, turned my attention to it is a is a fairly impressive track record. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and you know the industry, as you probably know, um, needs a lot of uh, hands-on. A lot of uh, there's needs a lot of talent right now. Right, we have a shortage of talent globally and here in the U.S. as well. And for you know the anyone that wants to get into the industry right now, what would your advice to them be? Like, what should they do first? How should they get into the industry? Where should they focus their efforts on? So. That's a that's a broad question, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a broad uh, broad answer, right? So I, I'm gonna say, concentrate on learning everything you can about IT in general, right? I know a lot of people come into cybersecurity from the network administration field, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I came into it from. Uh, I started out, you know, uh, software QA, which really doesn't have anything to do with cybersecurity. But from there, I went to systems administration. I was a Unix systems administrator for quite a while, right? And, uh, you know, anybody who's ever been a Unix administrator knows there's a, a, there's a lot of work that goes into that job uh, with regards to security, right? Uh, it, it's not security specific at the time. It doesn't look like it, but you learn an awful lot about moving parts of the system Right. And and what should be available and what should not be available. Right. It's not as simple as uh, uh, setting up Windows domains and ACLs and things like that. It's a little more difficult on the sun side. Um, also, how all these computers talk to each other. You know, so I think a, a broad based knowledge of IT, you know, which would include systems administration. Um, is is a great way to get into the field right because that also exposes you to application administration and how applications talk to each other and open ports and things like that right so um i would if i was going to get into the field or if, I, if somebody asked me what's the best way to get into the field i would tell them to broaden their knowledge of it in general right mm -hmm. and learn learn how data flows through a system right and 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 then study the the uh, study where you think the weak points of the system are, right? Um, that would be that would be my advice. And then uh, I guess the other thing I would say, right, is to be open to uh, or is to learn to communicate. That's the that's the the other thing, right? Especially if you're in information security, because um what i've learned over the years right i think when everybody first gets into information security and they're really um they're really passionate about it they want to lock down everything right and they want to shut down everything and they think that's the answer to making a company safe and then what you what you realize is you're going to get immediate pushback from people on the business side right saying we can't do business like this right so you know uh you can't be seen as the, as the person that's going to come in and shut down projects and, and make sure people can't access A, B, and C from work, right? Um, you need to be able to communicate in a, in a way where you're telling people, my job is, you know, part of my job is I'm here to make sure that the business can continue, but it continues in a safe way, right? So I, I would say two skills you should have, right? A, a pretty broad-based knowledge of IT and good communication skills. 
Yeah. And, you know, that actually brings me to a follow-up question because obviously, and I think I've seen that across the board, most, um, you know, CISOs and high-level professionals out there in the cybersecurity and information security and compliance field have come from, you know, they have some kind of a technical background and a good and solid understanding of that. But at some point, there's also that transition into the business world and understanding more mm -hmm. like business related roles because obviously as you said i mean you can't really talk to leadership and talking to them about only it and servers and whatnot because at some point you'll need you'll need to be able to communicate uh to the business like the risks in a in a coherent manner right so i just wanted to get your thoughts around that well yeah look i i uh in a small company, this is a much easier conversation, right? Um, but e but presenting to C level, right? What I learned is you you hit them with four items, right? Because if, if you if you go into too much detail, you're going to see them checking their emails, looking at their watches, excusing themselves, yawning, right? They they don't want to go into the minutia of of what's going on. You, what they need to know is what the risk is. What's the likelihood of the risk uh, being exploited, right? Uh, what it would cost to fix it, and what's the potential damage to the company if they don't fix it, right? So you know, uh, it's a very difficult conversation to say it's going to cost two hundred thousand dollars to address a problem that if it was exploited would only cost us ten thousand dollars, right? But uh, if you can go and 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 say you know we need to, to budget $50,000 for some new tool to address this issue or something like that. And the potential damage to the company is not only financial, but from a reputational aspect, right? That's the stuff that they want to hear, right? Yeah. It's, it's those four items. You don't have to go down rabbit holes uh, of what the actual exploit is and how it works and things like that. Just approach it from a very high level um, and, and you're better off. Right. Mm -hmm. And don't go in and don't go in there sounding like the sky is falling. Right. Because if you if, if you go in, if, if every time you present, you present uh, in a negative light, uh, you know, they're going to uh, it's this again. Right. You know, it, it's the end of the world again. This guy's here to, to, to tell us that we're under attack. Or we're going to be out of business tomorrow. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, yeah. It's the way it's the way you present things. And again, that goes back to communication. Right. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're speaking to the sea level keep it brief um be prepared to be prepared to answer questions don't take the questions they're asking you personally right um they're just trying to see if you are uh if you did your homework right and and you prepared to go in right so um you know but also don't go in scared right uh you know go in and just and just tell them here's the here's the situation Right. And let them make decisions and document everything. Right. Um, if, if somebody tells you no, ask you ask for that in writing. Right. Because, uh, you know, look, you, you and I have both seen this where there's a cyber attack on a company and the, the CISO is the first one out the door. Right. Uh, they catch the blame. Right. But at the end of the day, the CISO probably didn't make the decision not to fund something that could have prevented the cyber attack, right? That, that likely came from somebody above their heads. Yeah. You know? So. Uh, yeah. So, you know, document everything because there have, uh, I've run into it a couple of times where I, I've told people, you know, the potential is there for A, B, and C to happen. And then A, B, or C did happen, right? And and they went, why didn't we catch this? And, and then that's when I pull up the email and <laughs> right? saying, we, I, did, I did catch this. You guys told me not to worry about it, right? So, or or make it a lower priority, or something like that. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah, you know, you you have to cover yourself. Yeah, and this is you know, this is where the, the conversation around the difference between data owners and uh, the role of the CISOR, uh, you know, the deputies is in in this case uh, come to be. But yeah, we can, you know, we'll we won't go that because that's a separate discussion. So uh, <laughs> we'll just uh, you know we'll try to push forward. Uh, and, and you mentioned, so we, we started the conversation about talking about your journey, you know, as you grew from the an IT-related role into the, the the cybersecurity management leadership role. Now, 
you and you probably know that and you probably experienced that in the past but like that tension that always exists between you know the 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 information security or the cyber security and IT whenever like the CISO or the the your security organization reports under IT what do you think about that do you think that's a good thing do you think that's a bad thing no that's a it's a classic conflict of interest right because uh at the end of the day that stuff all bubbles up to the same position right it, it all bubbles up to the CIO right uh if you have the if you have the CISO reporting up the technology it all bubbles up to the CIO right and the, the CIO is a technology guy most likely right and they're generally gonna side with technology from my experience right um I think a CISO role should should roll up to compliance or or maybe even legal right or or operations and chief operating officer chief compliance officer um in, in my last company it, it rolled up to the chief privacy officer right um but uh, yeah I, I don't think it belongs under technology especially if your job is to challenge technology right uh like I said it, that all bubbles up to a CIO and and I think that's a conflict of interest mm-hmm okay yeah that's a that's the classic uh, approach i would say although there's there are two still two uh school of thoughts around that but um okay um and so again someone is a veteran in the industry who's been around the block a couple times what do you do to stay current what are the best resources that you use well look there's a lot of resources out there i'm i'm and i'm not paid by these guys right i don't uh, this isn't an endorsement Right. But I, I like uh, Hacker News. I like dark reading um, security gladiators. I get all these uh, emails from all these uh, CSO online. Right. Um, I get feeds from all these guys in, in my email and uh, I commute um, from where I live to New York City. So these are all good reads either on the way to work or on the way home from work. Right. Um, those are and I learned this as as a as a early in my career, a company I worked for actually uh, had an item on your annual review, whether or not you're doing outside reading, right? And uh, my manager told me about that. He's like, you have to make sure you do outside reading. And I said to him, uh, well, what's the purpose of that? And he said, hey, how are you going to stay up to speed on new technologies, right? We sit here and we work on the same technology all the time. Right. How are you going to know what's new or what direction the industry is going? You have to do outside reading. The company expects you to do outside reading. Right. They'll pay for subscriptions, whatever, as long as you're making sure you're, you're reading them. So um, so I learned that early on in my career uh, to always have some type of subscription to a reliable source of information that you can read through and, and, and stay up to date on things. Plus, I, I always hate when somebody who reports up to me knows something before I do. <laughs> so uh you know so i i, I like to uh, stay uh, on top of things like that mm -hmm. thank you for that uh let's talk a bit about uh you know let's start talking about uh, the the scissor role but before that uh just a quick question about the industry is there one myth about this profession or industry that you wanted to debunk yeah that compliance equals security um you know, I, I've worked for a company in the past that said, we're SOC 2 compliant, so we're secure. And we don't have, as long as we could pass that SOC 2 audit, we could prove to anybody that wants to do business with us that we're secure. And I, I just walked away and shook my head. And, and it, it seemed like every, uh, every project or everything I wanted to do to mature, um, the cybersecurity posture of the company, the first question that was asked was, is this required for SOC or is this required for HIPAA? That was another um, standard, that, another compliance standard they were looking at, right? If it wasn't required for SOC and it wasn't required for HIPAA, it got buried at the bottom, right? And I just kept trying to tell these guys, just because we're compliant doesn't mean we're secure. Let's stop conflating the two, right? They're, they're, they're completely separate things. Um, but I think there's too many 
medium, small and medium sized companies out there that think because we're compliant, we're secure. And and I've you know I've even seen this working for uh, uh, companies with regards to vendor management, right? Like, okay, we're going to do business with this vendor, see if they have a SOC or, you know, see if they have a SOC 2 document or see if they have an ISO 27001 document. I'm like, what does that mean? That means they're compliant. It doesn't mean they're secure, right? Like, well, you know, we should be sending them um, uh, uh, standard information gathering, a SIG, right? We, we, should be, we should be sending them a SIG and having them fill out the SIG that, you know, and even that to a degree, it, it's certainly more accurate uh, of their security posture than a SOC or, or an ISO compliant, uh, ISO report saying they're compliant is. But uh, yeah, I, I, compliance does not equal security. Okay. That's, that's, that's the big myth for me. Got it. Thank you. Um, and, you know, talking a bit about the role of the CISO and, you know, how it's getting transitioned in the past, uh, let's say, five, even 10 years. Uh, and let's start with nowadays. Nowadays, do you, what are the main concerns, in your opinion, that uh, that CISOs and leaders in the industry have? have? So I so what are the main concerns? So the, the rapid pace of change. Right. Um, and by that, I mean how companies are constantly forced to churn out new product services etc right to, to not only uh to to keep up with competition or get ahead of competition right um when you're in a, a situation like that especially if you're a, a SaaS company right software as a service you're constantly putting out new versions of code and, and new products new services um, and security becomes a, a tertiary concern. It's not even a secondary concern. It becomes a tertiary concern, right? Primary concern, does the product work? Secondary concern, are we going to meet the deadline? Or those two flop, right? Are we going to meet the deadline? It doesn't work as advertised. Security is always third on a good day in a situation like that, right? So I'm a big believer in the shift and in, in the, the idea of shift left. And getting security involved as early in the process as possible. Um, the issue here is that you know people involved in project scoping and putting together, they see the, the security guy walk into a meeting, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's the guy who's going to tell us what, why we can't do what we want to do, right? So, uh, but sometimes you shouldn't do what you want to do, right? So, uh, you know, to me, that's the that's the that's a big concern, right? Is is you've got all these web-facing applications and you're inviting people into your infrastructure, right? Even whether it's cloud hosted or, or on-prem, you're inviting people into your infrastructure and you're not even concerned or, or uh, one of the primary concerns of, of churning these products out is not security, right? Uh, so if I was a CISO in an organization like that, that's that would be my primary concern. You know, and then there's all the there's all the other good stuff too, right? Like you know, making sure your employees aren't uh, damaging the company by clicking on emails that they shouldn't be clicking on or visiting websites, right? That, that that's the that's always going to be there. But to me, it's it's the it's the rapid pace of change, the work from home, you know, the the remote world that we're in now. That's a that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, for sure, and. And again, just expanding a bit more about the roles of the CISO nowadays, what are the most, and I know you mentioned like, you know, having to, needing to have communication skills and some broad uh, perspective of, on IT, but in today's world, what are the most important skills that the CISO should have in your opinion? Uh, that's, that's a good question. If we, if we take out an IT background and we take out um, you know, the ability to, to communicate properly, I would say they should have a knowledge of the business, right? Um, I just recently completed an MBA, right? Um, because 20 plus years, 30 years of, of living on the technical side, I, I would know the business of the company that I'm working in, you know, after a certain time, you're plugged into all that stuff, right? But how business operates in general, yeah, it was a it was not something I understood, right? Did I necessarily need a, need an MBA to understand 
how business works? No, but it's something I wanted to do, so I did it, right? So I think from a, from a CISO perspective, you know, you have to have an understanding of the business, right? And and this way, when you're looking at projects or you're looking at, you know, the company's looking at onboarding a new partner or a new vendor, you understand why, right? Um, it makes your job easier, you know, uh, if you understand the reason why they're doing it. Uh, as opposed to just that they're doing it. So I, I, I think that's an, at, at that level, that's an important skill because you're going to be talking to people on the business side, right? And you need to be able to understand their language. Um, so, you know, to me, that's an important skill. And the other one is uh, people management. And, I, you know, I'm sure you've seen this. I, I've seen this. Uh, you have an employee, they're a, a very good employee. The company promotes them, right? They're very good at whatever they do and the company promotes them and now they're managing people, right? But just because you're a good developer or you're a good network engineer or you're a good systems administrator doesn't mean you're going to be a good people manager, right? Um, you may be very good at what you do. It doesn't mean you're very good at managing people and, and tasks and priorities, things like that. So um, I think uh, you should probably have this skill uh, before you get to the role of CISO, but certainly a CISO needs to be able to manage people, right? Uh, information security, cybersecurity, uh, they can be very high pressure jobs depending on the role, right? Um, and uh, people will need time off. People will need you to do conflict resolution, right? All that stuff is, uh, you know, you have to look at your employees and you have to know when they need a break, you know, and you have to tell them it's okay to do that, right? That's that's all people management, conflict resolution, all that other stuff. That's all people management. I don't think companies put enough, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think companies put an, uh, enough of an importance on that skill Right. When they put somebody in a position of management, it's just they're very good at what they do. So make them a manager so we can pay them more money. Otherwise, they might leave to the competition or something like that. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a very important skill for somebody to have. OK. And let's fast forward, like, let's say in five, 10 years, where do you think uh, what do you think the, the skills that would be needed then? Uh, from a CISO would be, or, or in your opinion, is, is it going to look more the same, or is it going to be completely different? So, I, you know, I think what I'm seeing now, right, is, uh, and I think this is the way the industry is going to go, is that there's not going to be a CISO for the company. I think you're going to get, it's going to become compartmentalized. You're going to get a CISO that's responsible for IT. You're going to get a CISO that's responsible for risk management. You're going to get a CISO that's responsible for privacy, right? And and they're going to roll up to some C-level executive, right? Um, they're not all going to roll up to the same C-level executive, depending on where they are, but they're all going to roll up to a C-level executive, you know, or maybe even um, at the C-level, you have a chief security officer, Right, who's responsible for all the CISOs, and and they go in, but but I think having one CISO for a company that's of any a mid-sized company or any decent-sized company is just too much work for them to do. Right, they're they're managing too many things: risk, uh, IT security, cybersecurity physical security right all, all those it's, it's just too much for one thing to do so uh, one person to do so i think what you're going to see is cso's based on verticals within the company and they'll all roll up to some you know cso chief security officer position thank you thank you for that yeah and i i actually i mean it's not the first time i'm hearing that and that's definitely going to be interesting to look at and how this uh role continues to grow and uh, to grow and mature um and in terms of innovation and the market and market trends let's talk a bit about that before we wrap up the today's episode um, yeah sure you know what in your opinion what will we see in the cybersecurity world next oh uh, what are we going to see next? 
Well, I, I can tell you what I think to see, but I, I can tell you what I'd like to see. So, uh, look, uh, cybersecurity, like everything else, is going to, we're going to see more and more AI in the future, right? With, with regards to the tooling that's available to us, right? Um, as, as more companies um, switch to cloud-based security services, right? And all these cloud-based security providers gather intelligence from all their different clients, right? And they process it and blah, 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 right? all that other good stuff. Uh, I, I think you're going to see more and more of that, especially with more and more companies shifting to the cloud. Now, I know recently um, with the economy taking a little bit of a downturn, there uh, more and more companies are announcing that they're reducing their cloud spend, right? Uh, but that's going to be temporary. They're already there. They're certainly not going to back out of after spending all this money on the quote unquote digital transformation, right? And, and, and moving from on-prem to cloud, they're certainly not going to back out of the cloud, right? So it, they may reduce the cloud spend temporarily while the economy, you know, does a level set, right? Um, when the economy starts growing again, they'll start spending in the cloud again, right? And, and that's going to bring more people um, jumping into these cloud-based security solutions and uh, you know more people attacking cloud-based uh, SaaS applications, right? So um, I, I think that's where the industry is going. Um, something we touched on before, uh, briefly in the beginning here, was the lack of available talent for the industry, right? What what I would like to see is a shift from. I mean, if you've looked at some of the requirements for entry-level cybersecurity people. Uh, they're not entry level at all, right? Companies are looking for college degrees, multiple certifications, right? Uh, or sometimes both, you know, um, they're looking for some experience. Give me somebody who's passionate about cybersecurity, somebody who's uh, smart, who's interested in doing this, who's passionate about doing this, and I'll train them up, right? And And if, and if they're good at what they do, Right. And they're a good employee. If after two, three years, they don't want to do this anymore, let's find another role for them within the company. Right. Uh, this is something I adopted at Equiline. Right. When I was looking to fill IT positions. Right. Did I want you to know something about IT? Yes. I didn't want you to come off the street not knowing anything. So I want you to know a little bit about IT. Yes. But I wanted somebody who was excited about working in IT and excited about working with our technology. Right. And did all of them stay? No. But after a couple of years of doing it and they got to learn the business, they would come to me and say, you know what, I just don't want to do this anymore. And I would say, OK, let's see if we can find are you interested in something else at Equilend, right? Um, and, and they would move. So, you know, probably nine out of every 10 people that I hired at Equilend are still with the company, uh, you know, which, which is a good thing. Uh, a lot of companies are doing this rotational employee. I don't know if you're familiar with this, right? But they, they hire somebody and they spend a couple of months in you know, working in a finance department and they might mm. spend a couple of months in business development, right? They do that and then they figure out what's best for them and, and, and they put them there. Well, why aren't we doing that in technology, right? Mm -hmm. Hire somebody, bring them in, let them work in IT, let them work in network engineering, let them work in cybersecurity and see what they like and, 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 and see what, they're passionate about and see what they're good at and, and fill the roles that way and, and allow CISOs to increase their training budgets. Right. Uh, the, the quote unquote bad guys, right. Are, are working all day long trying to develop new stuff and, and, and new tricks and everything. And, and you're sitting there with a kid who got a certification three years ago. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you put them in front of a terminal and say, make sure nothing bad happens. Right. And you walk away and, you know, maybe the kid gets uh, uh, 10 hours of online training, you know, as, as, as part of uh, his uh, to do's for the year. Right. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. We have to rethink how we're, how we're hiring people. We have to rethink how we're training people and we have to make sure we allocate budgets for, for such. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Um, definitely. And this is a very uh, similar ta tactic to what we do, by, by the way, uh, you know, in-house training, you know, just have to, um, you know, we're almost at uh, coming up on time here. Let me just ask you a couple more questions before I let you go, if that's okay. Sure. Um, yeah. So 
you know, I know you mentioned the pandemic as a game changer. Any anything you know in in general that you can say about like the uh, changes in budget planning? Yeah. So uh, look, when I was at uh, when I was at uh, Equilon, right when when COVID hit and everybody had to go uh, remote, what what we realized was not everybody was set up to work remotely. Right. Uh, some people just never did it. Right. Technology guys. Yes. They were, you know, you know, technology guys, they, they work all day. They go home, they have somebody to eat, they watch a little TV and then they jump on and start checking emails and things like that. But business people, not so much, right. They'll take out their Blackberry or whatever their mobile device was and they'll answer some emails and that's it. So they, they weren't, uh, ready to work from home. We weren't ready to have them work from home. Um, and I remember, I remember being on calls uh, with uh, people from other financial companies that we did business with, and they would call me up and go, how are you solving the remote work security problem with, you know, bring your own device, uh, people who are bring your own device, right? They have their own laptops or something like that. And I was like, well, we're, we're still trying to figure out what are you guys doing? And they were like, we, we don't know. We were hoping you you could tell us. Right? So everybody was kind of like, how, how do you do this? Right. So, um, look, br bring your own device is great if you're willing to make that gamble. Right. Uh, that, you know, you won't have to put some type of security in place uh, on somebody's laptop or for force them to do something with their own personal device. Um, hence the big move to VDI. Right. Now, you, you now you don't have to worry about. BYOD because mm -hmm. you know everybody's everybody's connecting to VDI, but then you have to make sure that your your bandwidth is there, right? If if you need the entire company to go remote at all times, right? So uh, you know there's your cloud spending in, right? So uh, you know companies have to have to do these things, these uh, these budgeting things with an eye on what's going to work in the future, not what's working right now. Right. And and unfortunately, I think too many of them um, and the pandemic certainly shook this up a bit. But I, I still think there's too many companies out there that think this was a one time thing and they won't have to do it again. Right. So they got through it and, and now they're fine and everybody still gets a laptop every three years. Right. And uh, and cross your fingers or they'll let or they'll let somebody buy a laptop or a, or a iPad or something and expense it and and keep their fingers crossed that they don't have a, a similar situation it just it, it's it's not going to work long term and i hate to be responsible for security in a company like that in your opinion what's the the best approach uh, for a vendor to take to try and establish a connection with someone like you uh study my business right i'm gonna i'm gonna fall back on on stuff I learned in, in some of my business classes, right? Do an analysis. Don't just, I, I get far too many things on LinkedIn that say, hey, Michael, I, I see you're this, I see you have this role. We'd love to talk to you about our product, right? And uh, well, why, what makes you think I don't have that product? What makes you think I need that product, right? Just don't, don't cold call me out of the blue trying to sell me something I, I might already have or that I, I, I don't necessarily need, right? And I know a vendor is not going to be able to to tell what tools I have in place, right? Just by looking at, 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 what the, at who I'm working for, right? But do some research on the company, right? Find out what we do. Find out who our customers are. Find out, you know, how long we've been around. Read the news. Have we had, have we been the victim of some type of, breach right uh don't just cold call me out of the blue and say hey i was wondering if you right if you do x or if you need x right you, you know do do some type of do some type of research right and then i guess the other thing is if if you do happen to catch me and and you have something interesting to say um show me that you want to be my partner Right. I, I, I've run into too many salespeople that have a product that we need and they sell it to me. And then I, I hear from them once a year when it's time to renew a service, uh, you know, when it's time to renew a contract for support or something like that. And in between that, in between that year, 
I don't hear from you, right? Uh, look, I don't need you to be my best friend, right? Uh, but check in with me once in a while. Call me once a quarter and say, hey, how you doing? How's the product? Are you guys making full use of it? Do you, do you know we have uh, updates to it that can do A, B, and C for you? You know, um, and, and while you're talking to me and while you're doing that, Talk to me about my business and, and what we're doing and, and the needs so that you can actually become a partner and and help help us get to that next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very good advice, in my opinion. Um, other people in the industry that you look up to that you wanted to mention here? In the industry that I look up to? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, in general, <laughs> you, know, you know, let's broaden the question. Other people that you look up to? Uh, well, you know, it, it's a cop out. Look, I, I don't want to disrespect anybody else in the industry, um, but I'm going to say if it, uh, an, an example of somebody look up to it's it's really a cop out. But it, it was my dad, right? Um, my dad did not work in security. My dad didn't even work in technology, right? He he worked in in collections for a utility company, um, but he designed a program, right? He was in collections for a couple of years. And uh, he said, uh, this was back in the 70s, uh, early 70s. And he said, our system of collections in this company has a lot of problems. And his boss challenged him and said, well, if you think you can come up with something better, go ahead. So he went about designing a new, he basically flow charted it, right? He didn't know what flow charts were because, again, he wasn't a technology person. He basically flow charted um, a, a new collection system. And they put it in place in 1973, and it was still in place when he retired in 1997. Now, it had been tweaked over the years, right, as things changed. But I asked him about that, you know, and I asked him, I said, what made it so good that they kept the same system in place for 24 years, right? And he said that when he approached the problem, he didn't concentrate on just how to create a better process, Right. But he also tried to solve the problem of why so many accounts were ending up in collections. Right. So and all of a sudden the light went off in my head and I was like, ah, a more holistic approach to problem solving. Right. Don't just don't just provide an answer to the problem. Take a look at the bigger picture. Right. We shouldn't have so many people in collections to begin with. And you're bogging down the system. So let's fix the let's fix the problem of why so many people are going into collections. Right. Uh, what's being done before they get here. Right. Th that that's bogging down this whole system. Right. So um, that was really like, you know, I said we didn't talk a lot about work because I didn't really understand what he did and he certainly didn't understand why what i did right he just didn't have that background but when, when we talked about that it was like a light went off you know and i was like oh i was like so we're not just fixing something we're actually solving problems you know so so that was like okay you know so i you know like i said i i, I uh he's not here anymore right so uh he he, he passed a few years ago but uh yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was uh, very enlightening when when he when he told me that, and uh, I said just the just the fact that he built something that was in use for so long, um, it, it, you know, is a testament to the way he approached approached the problem. And I try to to bring that same um, problem solving approach to to things I face. So yeah, yeah. and thank so, you for my, sharing. My, that. My, yeah, it might be a cop out to say to say my dad, but uh, that that's what yeah. I'm going with. <laughs> yeah. No. Sounds good to me. And then thank you for sharing that again. Um, you know, final notes. Uh, what's the best way to connect with you online? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My LinkedIn profile. Got yeah. it. And, you know, final bo bonus question. If money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Who? So it, it, my wife and I just had this discussion based on the two billion dollar Powerball. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh. So I, I, I told her, I said, if, if, if I won, if I was the sole winner. Um, so, right, obviously, the first thing everybody would do, you take care of your family, right? You, you take you help out some close friends. Right. And then I told her after that, I would take some money, put it aside for us right uh to make sure we never had to worry about it and then 
The rest of it, I would talk to some lawyers and some accountants about starting a foundation to just help people, right? Um, what do you need, right? Uh, do, do you need, uh, do people need help with their education? Do people need training for jobs? Do people need to get on, you know, help people who need to get on their feet who are struggling? Um, things like that, right? Uh, assist, the, assist the people who, who need help, right? Um, there's a lot of people out there that, that work two jobs and still have trouble getting things done, right? We, we have to figure out why that is and, and help solve that problem, right? Um, so I would put the money towards something to that. And as, as much as I'd want to do it anonymously, right, because I don't want to be viewed as a hero, um, uh, I don't think I would because I would I would probably call out other people who have far much more wealth than I would at my fingertips and say, why aren't you doing this? Right. Why aren't you contributing something, you know, and I'm not talking about a one time donation to a, a cancer chat. Like, look, all those things are great and, and we certainly need them. Right. Or, or a one time donation to get your name on the wing of a hospital. Again, it's great. And we certainly need that. But, you know, if, if you're sitting there with billions of dollars, why are you just not taking you don't need all that money. Bill Gates is a great example. I know there's people that have problems with, with some of the stuff that, that Bill Gates has done in the past. But Bill Gates years ago said he's going to give away 95% of his money. And the guy's given away 60 or $70 billion already, right? Yeah. For the other people that have that kind of money, why aren't you doing that, right? Who needs $100 billion, $200 billion, right? Okay, you worked for it. You made some smart business moves, whatever you got it. You don't need it all help people that that and and that's what i would do with that money and like i said i, I would really want to do it anonymously right but something about me says i would have to call out others <laughs> yeah yeah and that's you know that that's a separate discussion uh we can talk about yeah. it uh, much more but uh you know with that uh thank you for taking the time today uh michael and uh, you know any uh, I'm, I'm sure your uh, answers would help a lot of our listeners out there any final notes i hope so yeah i'm sorry what was that any any final notes uh you don't have to be paranoid to work in cybersecurity. it helps right uh but but you, but you certainly don't have to be um i think it's fun in in, in, a, in a certain kind of way i i, I approach it as you know, another day where the good guys get to fight the bad guys, right? So uh, I, I think we're the good guys. Uh, maybe other people would, would disagree, but yeah, look, uh, uh, if you kind of view it in in, in that light, um, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Uh, it can be a high pressure job, but you know, mm -hmm. please come into the industry. We we need good people. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, yeah, enjoy the rest of the week. See you later. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate your time. It's great talking to you.